This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. I remember for all of your wagering needs as you head towards and look ahead to the Super Bowl. Uh, Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey play Sugar House in Connecticut as uh, this is the uh, bye week. And then next week, all the hype as we get ready for a what should be a highly competitive uh, Kansas City, Philadelphia uh, Super Bowl. And a lot to discuss there as uh, teams uh, ready for the game as Andy Reid goes against his uh, old squad. Uh, he spent many part, many years of his life and sometimes frustrating years of his life in Philadelphia, where he won a lot but didn't win the big one. He did get to a Super Bowl and had a lot of struggles in the playoffs. And now the success he's had, which has been overwhelming in Kansas City, where they now will be in their third Super Bowl in the past five years. So they have been highly, highly productive, looking for a second Super Bowl uh, victory. All right, before I get to the emails, remember you can send your – uh, questions to, or comments to Mike Francis podcast at gmail.com. Brady retires. We know that that will be an enduring story into the, into the uh, Super Bowl, And clearly he has the kind of future that a Michael Jordan had. That is, you see, there are very few players who, when they leave the game, they find that their name, their image, their likeness is synonymous with success. In America, that is a license to print money. Jordan equaled success. Tiger Woods equaled success. Tom Brady equals success. And there is nothing above that. So the future is open to him in every way, whether he wants to uh, take TB12 on a marketing world, whether he wants to get ownership. And remember, that's what these guys want. Jordan has set down the model. Jordan, for a very nominal price, got into ownership of the Charlotte franchise. He now owns 89% of the franchise. That makes him a billionaire. That's what makes him a billionaire in life on paper is the money he has made inside that franchise. That's where the money is. Derek Jeter knows that. Tom Brady knows that. And that's what they want. They don't want to be managers. They don't want to be coaches. They, don't want, they want to be owners because that's where the big money is. And Jordan has shown the path to that. LeBron James wants that. I mean, that's where these guys want to be headed. Now, there's a lot of talk of him becoming a broadcaster. I've made the comment yesterday, and this isn't a knock, Tom Brady. I look at certain personalities and also look at what's going to interest certain guys, and I don't see him. Like, I never saw Michael Jordan as a broadcaster. I never saw Derek Jeter as a broadcaster. I don't see Tom Brady as a broadcaster. I just don't. 
Now, maybe he's going to prove me wrong. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll be a good one. But I don't think he will be a good one, and I don't think it's something that's going to interest him very long. I think he's got bigger fish to land. Could it be ownership? It could be different things in, in, in different you know, walks of life. Who knows? But I just think there's more out there for Tom Brady than that. Sean Payton goes to Denver. We talked a lot about that. I don't think that's where he wanted to wind up. I didn't think he'd wind up there. I didn't think they'd pay the price. I didn't think that they thought it was the perfect fit. There's, of course, been rumblings that they really were more interested in D'Amico Ryan than they were in Sean. I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't there. But it's been out there. D'Amico, I told you I thought he'd go to Houston. I knew he'd get a job. And he's a defensive coordinator. It's not easy to get a job that way. But you know what? He was that impressive. I think he will be a good head coach. may take him some time. That's not the easiest franchise, but I think he has the makings of a very uh, good leader. And let's see if that happens for him. Jimmy G will be on the move. Is he a backup answer for the Jets? The Jets should pursue Rodgers. If I'm the Jets, I pursue Rodgers at any cost. If I can get Rodgers, I land him. I want to go for the whole shebang. And I'm telling you right now, if the Jets get Rodgers, they will be able to take a run at the whole thing. They need to do some work on the offensive line. But if they have Hall healthy in the backfield uh, with Wilson's maturation at wide receiver and the other wide receivers and with a defense that is loaded, I think they could be very much a contender. I mean a contender for the whole thing. So, again, we'll see how that unfolds in the weeks to come. And you're not going to have to wait that long because Brady gets a ton. I mean, uh, Rodgers gets a ton of money in March. Over $59 million. So you're going to find out where this lands very, very quickly because that contract has to be renegotiated for it to land on the Jets. So let's see how that works in the weeks to come. And the Jets are going to have to pay heavily, maybe as high as two number ones. Maybe they can get second one conditional. Maybe, based on performance. If I'm Green Bay, I don't mind rolling that dice anyway because I think Brady, I think uh, Rodgers will do well. But I think Rodgers has a, a lot of quarterback left in him. But I don't think he could tolerate another season on a team where they're going to run bad routes and drop his passes and not protect him. I don't think he can live with that. I think he needs to be protected, and he needs the guys to catch the ball. If they do that, he can lead them a long, long way. It'll be very interesting to see. All right, let's get to some questions. Again, Mike Francis, a podcast at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as as we can um, on this bye week. Billy starts us off. You've often talked about favorite guests in your career. Yeah, I did that yesterday. And let me thank the folks at first take, they were uh, incredibly welcoming, very hospitable. That goes from Stephen A. to Dog uh, to all the members of the uh, cast and crew. Uh, couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more accommodating. I thank them for their hospitality. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Went, uh, we really did. Um, you've talked about the favorite guests in your career. Did you have a favorite segment or moment? You know, there was some talent. You know, Dog Day the Afternoon kind of broke the ice for Dog and I. Um, I invented the marquee, which Dog still uses to this day, uh, which became a very enduring character for him. Um, 
so there were a lot of things. Uh, but I think it's more guests and moments from a sporting standpoint than it is moments between us, you know. We had some crazy times, though. We really did. Nick, uh, wanted to know your thoughts on what the Mets should do this year with the hot corner. I believe they should give uh, Valley a chance uh, and then try to move Escobar. I think Escobar, who is incredibly popular on the team, is going to be in the mix. It doesn't mean he gets all the games there. It doesn't mean they don't have a little bit of third base by committee. There's nothing wrong with that. I think they can live with that. And I think, though, the principal player at third base will, at the start of the season, until he plays himself out of it, will be Escobar. John emails, is today's NFL officiating significantly worse than in previous years? Uh, If so, how can you fix it? Well, number one, they don't have enough experienced officials. They are rushing. uh, They are rushing officials onto the field because they have a lack of officials uh, who are qualified. They are also rushing officials into the positions of power, which is umpire and referee too quickly. So it's leading, and still there is that very delicate balance between review, challenge, and, and live officiating. And that balance is where they find most of their problems. But I do agree. Uh, I find, and I know officiating is going to become more and more visible the more and more money is spent on gambling. That's just, that's just human nature. But it's going to come under more scrutiny because of that. And it also comes under more scrutiny because of the amount of social media and the amount of games that have updated equipment in terms of technology and cameras and ISO machines and everything else and replay machines and the like. Um, But all you can do is just try to make the officiating better using common sense, having your officials in shape, having them be coordinated as far as crews, and having them use common sense. A good official has common sense. Matt asks, do you think the pressures on Dable and the Giant franchise to make it back to Divisional Weekend next year would anything less be a failure? Not necessarily. I think what they will have to do in year two. And there's a very good chance they won't get as far this year that they won't go to the playoffs or won't win a playoff game. I think that's a distinct possibility in year two. But what you want to see is that they set the foundation in year two that allows them to be contenders in years three, four, and five. You want to see stability. The Giants could very easily face a harder schedule. They very easily couldn't have the breaks they got this year in games. They were a little fortunate at times. They made a lot of their own luck. The ball bounced their way at times. So it might not be as easy, but they have to prove that they are now building the foundation and getting better at the positions they need to get better at. They need a big play wide receiver. They need to have more stability on the offensive line. They need to be better in the secondary. Those are things that are automatic for them. And better on, spe- better on special teams, too. Um, John uh, emails, are you aware of how epic your ran on the Mets in August of 2012 is after getting 
swept by the Rockies, uh, or is it something the fans remember? You know, I know that there's a handful that ha- that he kind of lived forever. The Eli one did, a couple of the Met ones did. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm familiar with them. People send them to you from time to time. I see them replayed from time to time. So yes, there are a handful that I remember. Especially, and that's one of them. Uh, the Eli one is another one. There's a, there's a, there's five or six of them. Um, Mike from Staten Island. I want your opinion on what St. John's needs to do to become a better run program. Need better players. Need more stability. Um, it hasn't worked. I know it's frustrating for the St. John's fan base especially in a city where when they aren't good, they're going to get ignored. And getting ignored in the city bothers the, the university. I'm telling you, I know that. It does. And it's easy to get ignored in New York because New York is going to move on to the next event. It's going to move on to the next big game. It's going to overlap seasons. You have in this town so many professional teams that a college team is going to get lost unless it's really good. And St. John's has gotten lost for years. But they need to be better. In every way, they need to be better. Uh, Dennis and Queens, I enjoyed the Mike and the Mad Dog reunion. Uh, kudos to Stephen A. Uh, for coming up with the idea. Uh, uh, you, Mad Dog, Stephen A. Molly had a great chemistry. Uh, did you know Stephen A. before you went to first take? Uh, yeah, I've known Stephen A. for a very, very long time. Uh, I don't know when we first met. Um, it was while Mike and the Mad Dog was in its uh, heyday. Um, Stephen A. and I always got along. I've told the story that the... Now, I've told you many times that we were not going to hire somebody. It was never in the works to hire somebody. But management wanted me to interview a bunch of people just to see if there was somebody I liked. And it gave them a chance to meet new people that they wanted to have a chance to talk to for, the, for their future. Uh, you know, whether they were going to use somebody, bring somebody over, whatever it might be. So they used that time, one dog left in August, we used that time before the fall got serious, like in October, in late August and in September to meet with a bunch of people, usually before the show at the diner in Astoria, we would have lunch with different people. And I would sit in, usually it was myself, Mark Chernoff, and whoever the person was. The first person we ever talked to in that regard was Stephen A. He was the first person we brought in. And we brought in maybe, I met face-to-face with, I'd say, about six or eight people. Not more than that, but six or eight. And some of them were, some of the people who we talked to on the phone were crazy. I mean, there were politicians, there were ex-players, there were, you know, uh, you know, people who had shows in other areas of life. Uh, there were people who were on prominent New York shows who wanted to jump with me. I mean, people who were on non-sports shows that wanted to jump with me. I mean, so uh, there was a lot of different people at the time. It was kind of a hectic time. It really was. You know, first of all, it was different because Dog had left after 20 years, so that was a little bit of upheaval. There was a lot of pressure on me to keep the show going at the same, you know, 
level of success, you know, with Dog Out. And I felt that pressure, I admit that. And uh, that was a part of it. So there was a lot going on. But he was the first one, so I knew him ever since then. And always got a kick out of him. You know, always got a kick because he was out there. He wasn't afraid to take a stand. He wasn't afraid to make himself loud and get, you know, in the mix and, you know, take no prisoners. And that's the way we did things. That's the way we always did things. So I appreciate someone who did that because that's what we did. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, you know, what we liked was if we went after someone or if I went after someone, the best thing they could do would be call up and come on the show. That would be the best thing. And we would never not welcome someone into the studio or onto the show who wanted to do that. And some of our best guests did that. So if I went after the NBA on something, Stern would have his people call and say, hey, the commissioner wants to come on. That's the best way to combat that. And he did a great job of that. He was one of the great guests. And like I said, there were many times he won the argument. We didn't always win the argument. Sometimes he won the argument. Sometimes he beat us up pretty good. George Young, same thing. He was that way. He would always come on. And I think that is the way to not run and hide and not, you know, oh, now you're never getting that person on. Hey, the person who you're critical of who then decides I'm never going on the show, that person's never going to advance his message ever. You know, that, that's just, you know, that's just not the way to do things. And it doesn't mean you have to answer every critic. You don't. But if it's criticism that is fair, where it's not personal and it's about a certain subject or something that happened or the way the league is being run or a decision that was made, then, then it's fair game. You know, our deal was we, you know, we would say a player played badly or the team screwed up, but we didn't go after the person. We didn't go after his, you know, we didn't talk about his family. We didn't talk about him personally. We didn't talk about things off the air. That's not what we did. We talked, if the guy screwed up on the field, that was fair game. If we thought he was playing badly, that was fair game. Okay? I mean, the, even the time, like, when Jackie, McMull, uh, Jackie uh, McReynolds called. I think her name was Jackie. I'm pretty sure it was. It's a long time ago, but I think it was Jackie. Well, Mrs. McReynolds, but I think it was Jackie. Um, she called out of anger because we were getting on Kevin McReynolds. And... We was almost uncomfortable debating with her because I didn't want to be disrespectful to her. And she buried her husband by talking about he hated the traffic, so he left early. He left before the game was over. He was telling us things we didn't even know. And it was just a nightmare. And we didn't call her. She called us. And, but that's not something we would ever go looking for. I mean, she demanded to come on. And we said, all right, you know, what are you going to do? But it wasn't something we were looking for. Uh, Brian and West Islip. I know the saying, a team is one player away, and it's used too much. But do you believe with the young receivers and the defense, the Jets might be one player away? I do. I do. I think the Jets are more than one player away. I think they are one player, a quarterback, 
and better coaching away from challenging to be a deep playoff contender, meaning playing the AFC title game. I think that the talent on the team is terrific. They need a couple of places they have to upgrade. Not going to argue with that. See, the Giants have a lot of holes. The Jets don't have a lot of holes, but they have holes where they need to fill them, and it's not easy, and that's quarterback and coach. And their coaching's got to be better. And they obviously made changes on the staff, so they're hoping it gets better. But the head coach has to get better. He has to make better decisions. He has to do a better job during the game. He has to do a better job with his time management. He's got to do a better job with, with game situations. All that's got to be better. And he let a young quarterback's trials and tribulations tear the team down. And that was, that was not good. So they have their work to do. Uh, I would love to see what would happen if they could bring a talent, the likes of Aaron Rodgers, who is an immense talent. He's not a okay talent. He's not a good talent. He is a special talent. He's a little weird. Be the first to admit it. I don't know Aaron Rodgers, so I'm saying weird from a distance. I'm not, I don't know him personally. I don't know if I've ever talked to Aaron Rodgers. Maybe I did once. I don't even know if I ever did. But I've watched him, and he is a brilliant quarterback. He's also got some strange thoughts that go through his head. Um, but the idea that he could come here and, you know, it would be a nightmare because he'd have to be so visible. You don't have to be visible here if you're the Jet quarterback. You practice down in the middle of Jersey. You go up and stay in Jersey for the games. You don't have to set foot in New York all year if you don't want to. You can be gone. Nobody saw Favre when he was here. All right, you saw him at the practice facility, and there were always a you know, bunch of reporters around him, but that was it. You don't have to be visible to play for the Jets. It's a bunch of nonsense. You know, you know it's not like you got to live in Manhattan or be in Manhattan. You don't have to do anything. You go to Manhattan if you want to. You go to the Garden if you want to. You go to Yankee or Mickey if you want to. You don't have to. So you can be invisible and be on the Jets. No question about it. So it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Rodgers would be perfect. Rodgers would make that team exceedingly exciting to watch develop next year. Now, a middling quarterback who has possibilities but needs to show you he can do it, like a car or a Garoppolo, who bring baggage. That's a little different story. Is it an upgrade? Yes. Is it automatic? No. Rodgers is automatic. They're going to be good if they get Rodgers. They're going to win games they never dreamt of winning if they get Rodgers. And they're going to be in every game with that defense, and Rodgers is going to win a whole bunch of them. I can't imagine, this is Anthony in Staten Island, I can't imagine that uh, Sean Payton's preferred destination was the Broncos. Why not wait a season? Well, let me tell you first, 
I've known Sean a very long time. Um, I have not talked to him since he left New Orleans. So I did not converse with him. But we do have a couple of mutual friends. And it was pretty obvious that he had his eye on the charges if it was going to open. Now, I don't know if the charges would pay him. I don't know if they'd give him the power he wants. I don't know if they would pay the freight that had to go to New Orleans. So all that comes into play. But I don't think, I think he was interested in the charges. I think he was obviously interested in the Cowboys. Uh, I don't think Denver was at the top of his list, but I don't think he would go anywhere where he didn't have a quarterback in place. I don't think he wanted to go searching for a quarterback because Sean's impatient. He wants to win tomorrow. He doesn't want to build. He wants to win tomorrow. He's good at what he does. He's very good. He's brash. He's confident. And he's a very good offensive mind. Um, He will make Wilson better. But Wilson has got to admit that he's gotten off the track the last two years. See, Russell Wilson did a lot of winning. But he also had a team that had a great defense and a good running game when it was on top. And then he had to do the other stuff. And he did it well. But he didn't have to do everything like some quarterbacks have to do with their team where they have to do everything. He didn't have to. And when his vision for this team and his vision the last year in Seattle and his first year in Denver were different than what it should have been. Now he's got to get back to reality, and Peyton will bring him back to reality. But will he be a willing passenger? I don't know. Let's see how it unfolds. But they have limited football resources. They have a lot of resources off the field with new ownership. They have a lot of resources. That's a good football town. It's a great fan base. It's a town that loves its football team. I mean, loves its football team. It's a good sports town, too. So that's in place. There's no apathy in Denver. They love their team. And Sean is, from that standpoint, someone who will get that Offense jump-started. How he and Russell work together, we'll have to wait and see. But listen, he wouldn't have gone somewhere where they didn't have the quarterback, but I think the quarterback he had his eye on was Herbert. I think without any question, that's the guy he had his eye on. You know, one thing, I watched the, I knew we were going to talk about LeBron on the first take, so I watched the, I made sure I watched the end of the, uh, the fourth, the third, and the fourth quarters of the uh, Laker game the other night. That obviously the Knicks lost in overtime. And if you've listened to me, you know that going back to his days at Villanova, I've been a huge Brunson fan. I thought Brunson would always be a good pro. I thought he could be a really good pro. I said when the Knicks got him that they were going to get him, they got him cheap, and it was a steal, and their people were going to just love him to death. And obviously all that has happened. But how about 
given him the respect on the team that he deserves. First of all, the Knicks can't win in the Garden, which is crazy. They're better on the road all the time than they are at home, which is just mind-boggling. Secondly, how in the end of that game, if you watch regulation, where Brunson made the plays, and the Lakers are a team that has trouble handling, you know, guards of that size off the dribble. That's the big problem they have defensively. How after he draws the charge on Davis, after he scores, then draws the charge on Davis, how does he not get the chance to take the last shot in that game? And you wind up giving the ball to Randall, who was six for 100 in the game, he was six for 20 that night in the game, and who, without any question, is going to run into LeBron and Davis as he tries to make a move. And he winds up not getting a shot off in regulation, and they lose in overtime. Doesn't make any sense at all. Let Brunson be the man there. I think he would have won the game in regulation if they had given him the ball. I think he would have gone to the basket and gotten fouled or scored. Really drove me crazy. Really did. I mean, I just, I didn't get it. That can't be Randall's team. It's got to be Brunson's team. Let it be Brunson's team. That's what it should be going forward. We'll uh, have something else for you probably before the weekend, and then next week we'll have a lot of stuff leading up to the Super Bowl, a lot of coverage and everything, one last Football Friday show for the season, and all that coming up. Uh, and obviously a Super Bowl prediction. Uh, I, I, I think I was 40-28 against the spread in the regular season. I think it was 40-28. It might have been 39-28, well, 40-28, something like that. And then I was 8-4 and four against the spread in the postseason. The only game I... Lost straight up was the Cincinnati-Kansas City game. I picked Cincinnati. I got to admit, I like Kansas City. I like Andy. Okay. But I thought Cincinnati would beat him. I thought a bit, I, I thought, you know, I didn't love that last call only from a standpoint of I could not quibble with it being a penalty, but I just hate that it was the game was decided by an official's flag. I hate that. It's a championship decided by an official's flag. But... When you look at Cincinnati, I thought, number one, losing Boyd really hurt them. He came out, guns are blazing, caught a couple of passes. He was going to be, he's a dynamic receiver. On a three-receiver set, he's the best third receiver in the sport. You have, obviously, Chase. You have the size of Higgins, and then you have Boyd. Boyd got off hot, bing, bing, and then didn't play again in the game. I thought that was telling. Plus, I didn't like either one. From a Cincinnati play-calling standpoint, I did not like either one of their last two drives. I can quibble about both drives. I have problems with both drives, and that's where they needed to win that game. And then they got a couple of bad whistles, and it cost them dearly. And now they go home. So now we have Philly, Kansas City. Let me give you the updated number. I I think I saw that it went to one and a half from two. I think I saw that it slipped a half point last night. Let me look at it. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, one and a half and 50 and a half. So the over has gone up to 50 and a half. This is the Bet Rivers numbers as we speak. One and a half and 50 and a half right now. If you want to bet them on the straight money line, Kansas City's plus 102 and the Eagles are minus 121. That's if you want to dump the spread. With the spread, with the big one and a half Eagles, plus one and a half Kansas City. Kansas City has been favored. They finished up a one and a half point favorite on, in the AFC title game in a game that went back and forth. Kansas City has been favored in 15 straight postseason games, an all-time NFL record. That is really something when you think about it. 15 straight playoff games they have been favored. That's wild. It really is. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.